This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. The International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church is typically the first Sunday in November. However, any time, any month, and any day is appropriate to pray for the persecuted church. Many people don't know. However, Christians are the most persecuted religious group worldwide at this time. Since 2020, there's been a 30% increase in Christians who are persecuted throughout the world. There's also been a 60% increase in those who die and are martyred for their faith. So there are about 340 million Christians worldwide who experience persecution. There are many nations who are hostile to the Christian faith, specifically North Korea, South Asia nations there, communist nations in various places, the Middle East, and parts of Africa. This persecution may take the form of social isolation, public humiliation, worship restrictions, and then on to violence, torture, and even death. Even in the United States, we are facing increased losses of freedom of speech. Many deeply held biblical perspectives and views, which the church has held for many years, are now considered hate speech or inappropriate, even in the United States. Also in the U.S., there are many who face job loss and job interference because of their beliefs. When we think back even over the pandemic and when there were shutdowns of various businesses, the church was told they had to close their doors when in many places, bars were still allowed to be open and to sell alcohol to people. This seems like a really inordinate restriction. All the businesses being closed is one thing. However, to have the church closed and the bars open certainly seems to be a reversal of priorities. Wouldn't you rather your citizens be filled with the spirit of God that would help them through a crisis rather than those spirits that make things worse? There are many organizations who are committed to providing assistance and coming alongside persecuted believers throughout the world. One of those organizations is the Voice of the Martyrs. The Voice of the Martyrs was started in 1967, and its original name was Jesus to the Communist World. It was started by Richard Wurmbrand, and he was a Romanian, Lutheran, Pentecostal priest who was also of Jewish descent. He spent 14 years in a communist prison for his faith in Christ. The Socialist Republic of Romania at that time had a policy of state atheism. 
Today, the Voice of the Martyrs is a large organization with many different chapters in different countries. I say chapters, however, the reality is each of those offices is independently run. There is no global worldwide office for Voice of the Martyrs, and some of them even have different names. However, they're still associated and affiliated with the movement of the Voice of the Martyrs. It's a ministry that is now more than $50 million in assets, and they provide assistance to persecuted Christians in more than 68 countries. In the U.S. office, 95% of the revenue to the Voice of the Martyrs is actually from public support. 81.8% of those funds goes to ministry directly in order to address persecution, to provide Bibles, to provide ministry to people who are suffering, and also different levels of fellowship and inspiration. About 12% of the funds go to administration, 6.2% to fundraising. And one organization, the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, actually shows the details of their financial records and books. For those who would like to investigate that, see the last three years of operations for Voice of the Martyrs to determine if this is a group that you would like to contribute to or give to in your charitable giving. It is a 501c3 nonprofit and also is known as a religious order. They do at each country where there is a presence, each local entity produces a newsletter. And in the newsletter, there are many stories about people today who are suffering persecution or who are making great strides in areas that are difficult to spread the gospel. In the U.S., there's also a weekly radio program. And on iTunes, the podcast version is in one of the top spots under religion and spirituality. And the Voice of the Martyrs also produces videos that show the nature of the work around the globe. If we go all the way back to the Bible, we know that there's a biblical record also of Christian persecution. We find that the Apostle Paul, who was a Jewish man of the sect of the Pharisees, the tribe of Benjamin, he persecuted the church and persecuted Christians because he did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah of the Jews. And he was standing right there in the midst when Stephen was martyred. So Paul went out, he got letters from the government, he went to Christians, he dragged them out of their homes so that they would be imprisoned, and many were killed. People were greatly afraid of him in those early days of the church. However, when Jesus met him in a vision on the road to Damascus, Paul went from being spiritually blind to being temporarily physically blind that God might open his spiritual eyes so that he then recognized that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah of the Jewish people. Once he realized that he was fighting against God's plan, and he didn't know it, Paul was very zealous, and he believed he was fighting for God's plan. God 
actually saved him. And then he became a great defender of the faith. And later he would say that he wasn't even worthy to be considered an apostle because of all of his persecution of Christians and of the church. However, Paul wrote a vast majority of the New Testament. And in fact, he became great in the kingdom of God. So he went from persecutor to being persecuted. Once it became clear that he now was part of this new way, which many considered a sect that was false, then he was persecuted from his Jewish brethren who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And he was persecuted by the Romans who really had more of a pagan perspective and really believed that people should worship the emperor. That's what they were all about. So he managed to get persecuted from all fronts and sides. He was stoned many times and left for dead. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. All kinds of difficulties when he was on the other side and was now persecuted. We find that in the early church days, many people were persecuted because they were believed to have heretical beliefs or because they refused to worship the local government leaders and authorities. There's a book out, it's been out for many, many years, it was written by a man named John Fox, and it's called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And this book is very enlightening to see the many challenges and difficulties that people of faith have actually suffered over and through the centuries. If we think about things that are going on now, there are many people who are coming to this country as refugees, and many of them are refugees because of their spiritual faith, their belief in Christianity, and they have been tormented, they have been persecuted, many of their family members have been killed or imprisoned, and they had to flee the country even for their own lives, and many have come to the United States or other places for refuge. Across the globe right now, there are also many things going on. So in the country of Iran, as an example, women are now protesting against the government because of the gender discrimination. Women are very much unable to work as they might like to, to be in the public square. And if they're not wearing the headgear, the hijab, they are often stopped by the morality police on the streets and they are beaten and some are even killed as a result of non-compliance with some of those laws. Many Christians are standing with the women in Iran, and I'm talking about Christians who are in Iran and are also Iranian, are standing with the women in this protest against the government. Many pastors who are of Iranian descent have returned to Iran with the intention of speaking the gospel to the people, telling them about Jesus. And as a result, they're often imprisoned for long periods of time. They are beaten. Many are killed. So that is also happening in Iran at this point. Some, fortunately, have gotten help through organizations whose mission it is to provide assistance to those who are persecuted, and they've been able to 
get out of long imprisonments and to return back to the home countries where they are now living. In Nigeria, we find that the group Boko Haram, which is an Islamic extremist group, are moving from the northern regions going down into the southern regions to really capture Christian people. So often what happens is that the property of the Christians, the businesses of the Christians are seized, and the women, the girls, and the boys are taken captive, taken to the north. They're enslaved. Often they are put into uh, sexual slavery as well. Many of the girls are raped. Many of them are also married off in childhood to Islamic men. And all of them are required and forced to take on Islam as well as their religion, even though these are Christian believers. So all of these things are happening by force. There's tremendous cruelty, beatings. Many are starved, deprived in various different ways, physically mutilated, including genital mutilation of the girls as well, the girls and the women. So those are really difficult situations and very difficult times that are going on across the globe. You might not think about it. However, in countries like Colombia, there are also challenges there. Many of the villages and towns are run by very difficult gangs, very violent gangs, and they don't want preachers preaching the gospel. One of the things that the gangs realize is that once people understand who they are in God and they understand Jesus as the Messiah, these people then don't want to join these violent gangs. And so the gang members are concerned about their recruitment efforts of young boys in Colombia. And so therefore they restrict the workings and the activities of the church as much as they can so that they can continue their violent gang activity. There is a preacher there by the name of Leonardo, and there are days when he might come to his church and those gang members come out and say, no preaching today. The church is closed. You're not going to be able to preach in the city or the village or the town today. And so he's had to resort then to preaching on the streets and in open places, which is extremely dangerous. However, people are hearing the word of God and many are coming to faith as a result. There's another person whose name is Luis. When Luis was 10 years old, he was in his house and a revolutionary armed force that is known in the area where he was living came in. They were guerrilla war fighters and they were shooting through the village. And because the Colombian army also came to assist the village at the time, these guerrilla war fighters captured Luis's father and kidnapped him fortunately for only four hours, and they kidnapped him so they would be protected against the Colombian army. They thought they could more easily escape if they had a hostage for a period of time. Luis and his little brother during the siege, they were hiding under their beds in their home, and it was very frightening. 
Several years later, at the age of 13, he learned about God, he learned about Christ, and he gave his life to Christ. And what he says that God told him was that God said, I am your father, I am your God, and I will always be here for you, is what God told Luis. Armed with this and really understanding his salvation in Christ, he decided at 13 years old that he was going to preach the gospel. And so he traveled around to zones like his own, where he came from. And as he got a little bit older, these red zones, which are very dangerous areas and where the gospel is suppressed. And he preached to the people, he distributed New Testaments, and he distributed other things that the people might need and also value uh, for their lives. He would distribute these Bibles and other resources even to those people who were the perpetrators. And he would say to these insurgents, Jesus still loves you despite all the pain that you have caused. It's dangerous for him to preach in this region and in the way that he does. However, he still continues to do so. One of the things that Luis recognizes is that he has an enduring peace from God, and he wants the others to also have that peace as well. So you might be wondering, as we're talking about all of this, what else is some good news along the way and as part of the story? And I want to mention a person who was known in his ministry as Brother Andrew. And Brother Andrew, he actually started a ministry called Open Doors. He was a Dutch missionary, and his name was Anne van der Bilge. That was his real name, but he was known as Brother Andrew, and he was known as the Bible smuggler. He smuggled Bibles into Poland, the Czech Republic, East Germany, Bulgaria, Russia, and many other communist places. In October of 2022, he died at the age of 94 years old. However, I will tell you that his life was meaningful and he made significant contributions prior to his death. As he would come across a Soviet checkpoint, and he's about to enter into the country with his Volkswagen Beetle, he would pray to God and he would say, Lord, in my luggage, I have scripture. I want to take to your children. When you were on earth, you made blind eyes see. Now I pray, make seeing eyes blind. Do not let the guards see those things you do not want them to see. And amazingly, he would pass through the checkpoint and the guards would not see the Bibles that he had in his luggage and in his car. He's written a book called God's Smuggler. And in that book, he details and outlines a lot about his ministry. Although he started with communist countries and particularly the Soviet Union at the time, he expanded his ministry into China and into Pakistan. And he even met with the leaders of Hamas, the Taliban, the Hezbollah, 
in the time of his ministry. When he was 90 years old, he was meeting with the Taliban, even in Pakistan. Open Doors is now in 60 countries. And what Brother Andrew said is there are always open doors for the gospel. And he believed that. And he says, you can go anywhere and spread the gospel as long as you're not worried about whether you come back or not. That's pretty bold and amazing that someone could have that perspective and viewpoint. So you may be also wondering, well, what can you do where you are as a marketplace ministry leader when we think about the persecuted church and this time to reflect on persecution that's still going on all over our globe? First, there's three levels of prayer that you could engage in as a minimum. And let me mention those. First of all, pray for the persecuted Christians worldwide. There are Christians in countries that are completely hostile to Christianity. And they need prayer covering, prayer support from those of us who are in safer places. Number two, pray for the people who are the persecutors or the people who are the uninformed in these foreign nations and countries, pray for their salvation. God cares about the people in Iran, Afghanistan, Iraq. He cares about the people in Sudan, in Nigeria. He cares about the people in Indonesia. He cares about the people in Pakistan, in China, in Korea, North and South, in Russia, in Ukraine. God cares about people worldwide, other countries that I did not name. And I'll remind you that when God sent Jonah to preach in Nineveh, Jonah didn't want to go because the nation of Assyria, they were enemies of Israel and had done evil against the nation of Israel. And Jonah knew that God was a loving God and a forgiving God, and he did not want the people to benefit from the mercy of God. And God said, Nineveh is a great, mighty city. I have many people there. They don't know their left from their right. They don't know me. And he wanted those people to know about him and to be saved, and to come to him. And so ultimately, Jonah had to preach this message of repentance in Nineveh. And for a brief time, the people actually did repent, and they avoided destruction for a brief period of time. So when we think about this, God wants us to pray for our enemies. Those who are our enemies today may very well be our brothers and sisters tomorrow. Our prayers are important for their well-being, for their salvation, and for their eternal life. The third level of prayer, I would say, is to pray for yourself. And what I mean by that is for God to reveal to you what it is that he would have you to do about the unrest around the world, about the persecuted church, and those people who are ministering in the earth's most difficult regions. There's work, there's ministry 
for all of us to do. Pray that God will open your heart, your mind to know what that is and where and how to proceed. The fourth thing I would say is to give to organizations that provide help and provide support to those who are persecuted, to those who are refugees. I named a couple of ministries, Open Doors, Voice of the Martyrs. There are far more, and you can research that and decide where you would like to give some funds that would help people who are in dire and difficult circumstances and situations. Number five, I would say provide Bibles for people in their native languages. And there are also many organizations that are dedicated to providing Bibles to people worldwide. One of those organizations is the Bible League. And again, they're not the only one. However, that's one that I'm personally familiar with that's doing a great work across the globe. When people have Bibles, they essentially have the spiritual food that they need to sustain them in spiritual warfare in dark places. You are giving them the food that is their strength to make it another day. It's not a minor thing that they have Bibles. It keeps them on the straight and narrow of what is true and to not fall into apostasy or false doctrine and and errors. God strengthens his people through his word. So when you give Bibles, you are giving life to people in these persecuted regions. You're also giving them tools to use to share the gospel with other people who don't know God yet, however, will come to God because they see and hear the word of God. Number six, I would say, help and provide financial and other support and resources to individuals in need. We're in quite a global world now, and many of the refugees are here in the United States. And there are people who know of other people across the globe who are suffering. We can contribute individually also through the people who are in the know. So you can contribute on two levels, to organizations and also through individuals who are aware of the needs in different local areas. Some will require legal fees to get out of prison because they've been imprisoned for their faith. Some need food, they need shelter, they need clothing, clean water, medicine. There's so much that we can do to be partners and to be helpful to those who are persecuted. And then seven, I would say, spread the news about those who are suffering persecution. Tell their stories to other people. Involve your workplace partners. There are many people in the workplace who want to be part of something that's greater than themselves and that makes a difference. The same way that you raise up entities for charitable donations and charitable giving, you can also start something for the persecuted Christians as well. So there's a lot that you can do as a marketplace ministry leader, because many people don't even know and aren't aware of the increasing persecution across the globe, and especially for those of Christian faith. 
So today I want to share a couple of Bible readings before we close our time today. And first, in the words of Jesus from his famous Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew, the fifth chapter, verses 10 through 12. And Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I want us to notice that this world is not our home. We are ambassadors for Christ in this land. And none of us is going to get out of this life alive. So whether you die of natural causes or of persecution or of living out your faith in a dangerous place, it doesn't matter. Jesus is saying, great is your reward in heaven. So our reward is not here. It is in heaven. We are going someplace else after our time on earth is concluded. And keep in mind, this is not anything new. The prophets of God have been persecuted for many, many centuries and decades, going way, way back. This is what happens to those who follow God and follow the truth. So don't be afraid or think that this is strange. In fact, this is a typical kind of pattern that tends to evolve. I would also like to read something. So this is 1 Peter, third chapter, verses 13 through 17. And it reads as follows. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who ask you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So keep in mind, when we are doing good, when we are doing what is right in the Lord, when we are doing what he's called us to do, no matter what happens, it is ultimately for the good. And that harkens back to Romans 8.28, which reminds us that even though all things may not be good, the God who is good will work all things together for our good, even that which seems to be evil. Our job here is to always give a reason for the hope that is within us. We are living in a world that's in desperate need of hope, desperate need of peace, the kind of peace 
that transcends all understanding and that lasts through any and every circumstance. And we have the keys to hope and peace. Let's share them. Open many doors that many might be saved. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.